Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. And welcome to the Farcast. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the Farcast. It's such a privilege to be able to come in through your earbuds and speakers wherever you are. Uh, we hope that these uh, Farcasts are helpful to you. Last week we had a great Farcast. Kenny Polcari told us what was going on in the markets and thought that we would retest the lows and that the volatility wasn't over. Markets had a bit of a weak follow-through with lots in the news. I made it up to New York and spent an hour on the desk uh, on CNBC with the Halftime Report gang just as Jay Powell was giving his Capitol Hill testimony and the president came out with his uh, protectionist tariffs uh, and this tariffs on trade. And, and that really spooked markets and we saw things fall. So we're going to talk about that this week. Last week, of course, too, we had, if you didn't listen to that forecast, we had the great Mark Olson, who's a former Fed governor, uh, talking to us about the economy and what his notions for growth are going forward. He was still looking to two and a half, three percent for the next two years. Not bad from a, with an economy that's grown the way this one has, uh, but not on fire. So, so we're keeping our enthusiasm in check, and yet we're still bullish, always bullish on the future in America at the Farcast. So thank you for joining us. Remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And remember, in this environment, one of FAR's biggest rules, emotion, is the foe of the long-term investor. Emotion. So if you're feeling really good about stocks or really scared, don't do anything. Talk to your financial advisor. Get some advice. Take a walk. You know, practice your whistling. Just don't do anything with your money. So this week, great show. Great show. Three segments coming up. Kenny Polcari on the floor. We have just gotten news, breaking news, that Gary Cohn has resigned as Trump's top economic advisor from the White House. Uh, they, it's, it's rumored that they were in great conflict at great odds over this uh, tariff, a foreign tariff and potential new trade war that the president seems comfortable starting. So uh, we're going to get Matt Leffingwell in. We're going to be talking about that. Kenny Polcari has views on it, too. And then we have the chief executive officer of Sinaloy Corporation coming up in segment three, uh, we have Craig Brom, and Craig Brom uh, is runs Sinaloy, and Sinaloy does a, a couple of different businesses. It's a diversified business. One of their businesses is uh, stainless steel tube and pipe. Uh, Sinaloy Corporation makes the longest single length of stainless steel pipe out there in the country. But the former CEO, a guy named Jim Lane, who did a wonderful job with that company for years, was a friend of mine, used to always talk about the great disadvantage of steel and stainless steel manufacturers domestically and even pipe manufacturers because of dumping from China, because of the subsidies provided to Chinese-based companies that made it not competitive uh, by the time that steel arrived in the U.S. So uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about the complexities of these trade tariffs when we get to Craig. I'm so excited that he's joining us. And then Matt Leffingwell uh, coming to talk about what's going on at the White House, what's going on with the tariffs on Capitol Hill. And we've had senators resigning, and, and they've got to try and keep up that you know majority count in the Senate. So 
So much to talk about, so little time. Hang with us, and we're going to go now, of course, to my very dear friend, the talented, the handsome, the debonair, the dashing, the ever-effusive, very intelligent Kenny Polcari from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. He's a managing director at O'Neill Securities. And uh, while he is charming and no, God knows good-looking, he's also a lot older than I am. So, Kenny Polcari, this was a big day. We had volatility. Tell us what was going on on Wall Street. Oh, Michael, you know what? It was It was a very interesting day. Not a lot of volume, but yes, a lot of volatility, right? The market started out this morning very much on the plus side. There was positive kind of news that ran over all night, overnight in the Asian markets and European markets about uh, maybe Trump easing back on all this tariff talk and trade talk. And then on top of that, uh, like late last night or early this morning, I guess, was news that, you know, North Korea and South Korea are starting to play nice in the sandbox. And there's a, some, kind of a, some kind of a meeting set up in uh, late April, which also then sent the markets. Uh, that was a very positive headline, and it sent the markets higher because we all know, separate from the political stuff, from the financial stuff, that has been a political issue that's been weighing on, on the markets. And so that was also viewed as a positive, and that really gave the market its, its push this morning. But then as the day gets started, then you had all the infighting in Washington and the White House with Gary Cohn, the president, and who's going who's gonna to quit if they go forward and who's not going to quit. And Mitch McConnell it created some angst and anxiety. You saw the market back off. And then they rallied it again into the bell when it became clear, I think, that Gary Cohn wasn't, in fact, kidding. He was going to resign if Trump didn't, didn't pull back. And, in fact, I guess that's what happened after the bell. Gary Cohn did submit his resignation, I understand. Yeah, Gary Cohn did did submit his resignation. He's out, and and look, that could have been leaked earlier, Kenny, because that was um, they both had very formal statements. As soon as they announced right. it after the close, there were very formal. I mean, you know, I love you, you love me. He's a great guy. Oh no, no, he's a great guy. I mean, it was just such canned, you know, hoo ha. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I you know, none of it rings true at all from what we've been hearing. So, anyway, Cohn's out now. Look. Cohen kept me, Gary Cohn kept me calm, uh, knowing that he was there and that the president was hearing his voice. I, I mean, I haven't seen futures here later this afternoon. They don't really mean much, of course, right now. But, you know, I, I, I can't believe that markets are going to like it with uh, a White House without Cohen. I'm not sure the market's going to like it either, which is why the market started to sell off today when word came out that Cohen was going to, he was resigned if Trump didn't back off. And then when the market rallied, I thought, well, you know, maybe... Maybe he's not going to resign. Maybe it was more of a threat. But I would agree with you. I think the market's not going to view that as a positive. Um, and and I, you wouldn't be surprised to see the market back off. Well, we're going to find out. And the first, uh, the first canary in the coal mine that we're going to look for, of course, are going to be the Asian markets when they open in a few hours tonight. That's going to be something I'm going to be watching pretty closely to see what, what sort of indicators we get for stocks for the day. You know, when we were talking last week, Kenny, we were talking, you, you had said you thought that volatility would return. And, you know, I said, look, I'm heading up to New York. I'm going to, I'm going to do the uh, noon show for an hour from up at CNBC headquarters, and all I had to talk about on the, you know, they sent me reading materials and stuff. All I was going to have to talk about was Jay Powell's testimony. I get there, and I got the president talking about a tariff that nobody knew about. Nobody. Right. 
Right. So what what happened on the floor? Tell us, you know, everybody's forgotten that Jay Powell said anything. How did the Jay right. Powell testimony hit the floor? What are they still thinking about Jay Powell? And what are we thinking about this tariff? I mean, when I first heard Trump say it, I, the president say it, I thought, you know, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is the black swan that we've been waiting for. This thing could get really out of hand fast. I mean, you don't start a war and think that you're going to win it and it's going to be neat. I mean, th- this stuff is messy, right? No, well, it, it could get messy. Yes, it could get messy. But, but honestly, I, I think that Trump's going to end up backing off on, on the tariffs a little bit. I think he's really using it to try to force the conversation. He's trying to get people to come to the table. Because, look, there are probably bad trade deals out there on our behalf, right? We've been talking about it. Oh, there years. definitely are. Definitely. Right. So deals that were made years ago, so therefore need to be revisited. So in that sense, I don't think Trump is wrong at all. Uh, maybe he's going about it the wrong way, but in the end, if he forces the conversation and forces people to the table, then maybe it's a good thing, right? One way or the well, other. I mean, the you know, he's taking it. Yeah, but he, you know, he's taking an axe to. I mean, you know, so we got a problem. You know, he's taking an axe to a scalpel-sized problem. I mean, this is well, when you take a scalpel. He's going for the axe. Well, I agree, but that's always that. That seems to be his mo, right? He's always he always he's blustery, right? He tries to make a big splash, and then he and then he you know, backs off a little bit when he gets people to the table. And I really think that's what he's trying to do. Um, now, I guess we'll see. you got both sides of the table. you got Wilbur Ross coming out saying everyone's making way too much of a big deal about this. It's not really a big deal. Trump is not the first president, by the way, to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum, right? His predecessors did it. So I don't know why all of a sudden this is such a dramatic news story when this is not the first time it's happened. Well, but they didn't come out and put they didn't put out come out and put out a twenty five percent trade you know uh, tax on steel coming into this country. I mean that's pretty dramatic. And they'd actually checked with other members of Congress. They checked with the White House economic advisor. I mean you know this this was the problem was a China problem. Everybody knows it's been China that's been dumping, and it has been unfair. But boy, this was you know and and then he follows up saying you know it's easy to win this kind of a war there's no problem getting it now he's backed off of that of course but i mean there were a lot of of inflammatory comments from the president that did not make markets happy i was not happy with any this has really been worrying me for the past few days no but that's exactly why you saw the market react the way it did right you the market was not happy with it it wasn't happy with the way it was announced now over the last couple of days and through lots of conversation and, and, and uh, news stories, the market seems to be not as reactive as it was. It's not going to necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater right away. It's going to wait and see how it plays out, right? The market is going to give it a chance, or at least that's what it feels like, that the market wants to give him a chance with this to see, to see what it is. But upon, upon its first announcement, it caught everybody by surprise, and I think you're right that the, that the market didn't feel like he took Congress into account, that he went and he looked for their advice, that he just blatantly said, this is what I'm doing, this is what we're doing, I don't care what anybody said. And the market doesn't like that kind of, that kind of rhetoric, right? No, I mean, clearly, clearly it doesn't. Now, I do want to be clear. I do agree with you that we have been a party to some very unfair trade practices, and I'm really glad, you know, uh, 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 they need to be addressed. They need oh. to be clarified. We, we you know... Right. Th- we should not be the patsy, you know, to every one of these, to every one of these deals and run around scared. But man, this was a, this was a shock to me. Well, and so I think the market agrees with you. In the end, I think the market feels like, hey, look, he's right. We've got bad trade deals. We need to we need to revisit them. 
And maybe this is the way to get people to come to the table, that he's really serious about this, that other countries have to really stand up and recognize the fact that we are getting the short end of the stick. Well, okay. So we are. So, Kenny, talk to me about where we go from here. We listened to the Fed chairman say, you know, maybe steady as she goes. He was a little he was maybe a little bit uh, overly aggressive in his uh, testimony to the House. He backed it off a little bit to the Senate. But it still sounds like three hikes this year, right? No, it definitely sounds like three hikes. And I also what I liked about uh, his testimony, even though maybe he, he was a little bit softer at the Senate than he was at the House, I think, though, fully prepared. If he thinks we've got to go four hikes, he's fully prepared to do it, and he's not going to make any apologies for it. He made it very clear. He's here to steer, steer the economy. He's not going to react to what Wall Street does. If Wall Street wants to throw a hissy fit, so be it. He's not going to be driven by the whims of Wall Street, and I actually think that's a big positive. You like that, that he's, he's going to ignore it. Well, you know, that's what Fed presidents always used to do. I mean, that's what the Fed used to say back in the good old days when you and I were in our youths. Uh, exactly. When we were in our youths, you know, they'd say, it's not my job to run the market. It's my job to run the economy. Let the market they, take care of itself. And they would come out, they'd make an announcement, they'd turn around and they'd walk in. They wouldn't hold everybody's hand. They wouldn't say, oh, come lie down on the couch. Are you okay? Let's talk about it. They did none of that. And quite honestly, I think the markets were much more efficient as a result because they, the markets then had to make a decision. The markets had a price in what they thought the real risk was versus what we've had for the last decade where the Fed comes out. And I understand in the middle of the crisis, maybe you needed a little bit more handholding. But we're years past that. And the Fed okay, but am, am, I, am I wrong to be worried about this three? So if they raise it three quarters of 1% and I've already got a 288 or 290 10-year, uh, uh, that's that's going to take me up, you know, to basically three and a half, uh, and a half or maybe a little right. bit above, and that's going right. to take mortgage rates to five and a quarter a year right. from now. And the, I yeah. mean, that that kind of uh, I don't know that the market or the real estate market can hold on to that. Or can, I, I mean, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? It does seem like a lot, and I do agree with you. That is a concern, and that's what's going to be the headwind from a from a financial point of view. Forget the the, the political headlines. But from the financial headlines, that is, in fact, going to be the headwind. And so we're going to start to see that. I still think 3% is going to cause a little bit of uh, anxiety and nervousness in the market. I think the market's not going to do well with it right away off the bat. It's going to back off when we hit 3%. And then it's going to, and then it's going to see how comfortable it gets with it. And then I think once it gets comfortable with it and it realizes that the economy is, in fact, strong, as Jay Powell said, then I think – that that move to normalcy will in fact be a welcome move. So I'm I'm not really bearish on it. Although in the short term, I think don't be surprised to see the market once again back off. But I think in the long term, we'll be okay with it. You know, on the forecast, we've been telling folks for a long time that uh, volatility is the new normal. So I think we got to get used to this. What about what about uh, what do we do as investors here, Kenny? Because we're coming up to the end of the segment here, buddy. Well, here's what I think you do. Again, if you're the long-term investor, you should have you should you know you should be in constant touch with your advisor. Just because investing is very very dynamic, it's not static. Number one, but number two, the last thing you should do is panic. In a down market or when stocks go on sale, you should use money that you set aside to put it to work. Right. So you should be looking for opportunities, keeping some powder, keeping your powder dry. Don't lose your head. And if you need some advice, you call us at Far Miller and Washington. And Paul Curry. 
Parr, Miller, Paul Corey Miller in Washington. I, look, they don't care. Just let me know when you're showing up. We got a big desk for you. We got a great office. You're going to love it at Polkari Miller in Washington. Hey, you are the best. I learned so much every time I talk to you. Uh, I really do, and I thank you so much, Kenny. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Polkari, uh, managing director O'Neill Securities, uh, over thirty. Uh, over 35 years on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Handsome, debonair, fabulously bright and older than I am. Kenny, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, baby. Good night. You're listening to Forecast. This portion of the Forecast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Gosh, listen to the music. It's just fabulous music. Welcome back to the Farcast. What a great first segment we had with Kenny Polcari. So much to talk about. Gary Cohn resigns. We've got volatility on Wall Street. We've got tariffs. We've got so much that's affecting us and buffet, buffeting stocks and buffeting not like in the Good Warren way, buffeting in the knocking them around kind of way. Boris, that was a terrific song you just played for us. So we're waiting for the uh, Farcast Greatest Hits to come out. What's, what's the name of that one, Boris? This was a big hit in 1973 called Good Golly, Miss Olga, written in honor of <laughs> Olga Corbett. <laughs> good Golly, Miss Olga, 1973. That was a good year. I remember watching Olga Corbett back then. I think I'm probably, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm probably the only member of the forecast now that Polkari is gone that could remember such a thing. But uh, she was, uh, she she was quite a gymnast, Olga. Uh, she so, was one of our best. Miss Olga, one of that our was, best. The, yes, good golly, Miss Olga. Fabulous. Good golly, Miss Olga. Yes. Well. Uh, good golly, Boris. Thank you for sharing that. It's just cheered us all up. Joining us now on the forecast, as he does every week, is the great and very intelligent Matt Leffingwell, who, uh, as you might remember, ran the House administration. Whatever. The tax, the uh, uh, appropriations committee. There we go. See, that's just, you know, like old, old, old timers uh, when the words just won't come. I know what I want to say and it won't come. Half the time I can't remember. So Matt Levingwell, senior uh, political analyst for the Farcast, thank you so much for coming hey, back. Hey, good to be here, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Boy, lots going on. We've got tariffs. We've got senators resigning. I have a list for you. I'm going to read a list. You ready, Levingwell? No, I'm going to read it quickly. I'm always ready. I'm going to need. I'm going to. I want. I want your comment, and I want you to tell me what these people have in uh, common. Are you ready? I'm ready. Reince Priebus, Sean Spicer, Michael Dubke, James Comey, Preet Bharara, uh, Michael Flynn, Sally Yates, uh, Anthony Scarmucci, Steve Bannon, Tom Price, Dina Powell, Omarosa Newman, Andrew McCabe, Rob Porter, Reed Cordish, Hope Hicks, and Gary Cohn. Gonzo. Got any idea? Gone. Gone. Every one of them was at the White House in a senior position, and they are gone. gone. I, I mean, I don't even think they retired. They, can, they can't even retire the jerseys that fast, can they? <laughs> no. No, they're gone. I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of what we expected when he lined up his uh, 
lined up a lot of his administration with, I think, you know, you know, fairly uh, inexperienced or underexperienced folks. But uh, I think Gary Cohn is, an, you know, it was one of several exemptions to that. I mean, I, I'm taken by a complete surprise. I think if this were, you know, certainly he was very opposed as the former president of Goldman Sachs. He's very opposed to these these uh, steel tariffs, as you were discussing with Kenny Polcari in the prior segment. And, but he is, uh, you know, so if he was actually doing this out of principle, unlike, you know, Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, who was talking about, you know, the, the, the price of the tin plate in your can of Campbell's soup the other day. Tells us we don't have to worry about it. Right. We don't have to worry about it. Just consumer prices will go up and, you know, the cumulative effect doesn't matter in, in uh, his book. But I think, you know, Gary Cohn could be, uh, you know, if, if he is doing this on the principle and, you know, an economic principle, then I think that's something to be commended for. I don't think that's how a lot of these other folks have left. Okay, well, here's the thing that's driving me crazy about this, because I hear Polcari, look, you know, and I hear Polcari when he says, look, we've gotten the short end of the stick on a lot of these trade deals with different countries for years, and we've been the patsy, and, you know, we continue to pay, and, and, and they continue to profit. And certainly that has been true most of all with China, and, and, and it has really been at different points egregious. And steel in particular, has been has been an area where we've really uh, taken it in the neck. So I get it, you know. But as I told Kenny, it seems to me that we just took an axe to a, a problem best dealt with with a scalpel. And you, the, the other thing is, you know, I hear the president say, well, I'm going to start a war and it'll be very easy to win it. And while he's backed off of that lately, uh, I, I think wars are messy. I think wars are dangerous. I think the generals are typically in the back. And those, and I, when I say those... Uh, uh, you know, frontline uh, soldiers are, in this case, economically, the poor and the middle class who are going to bear the brunt of this. I mean, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to change my life if a car costs $124 more. Not going to matter to me. Really isn't. I got the 124 bucks, But a lot of people don't. And I don't think that we can just, you know, not care about that, be insensitive to that, particularly when you look at the fact that there haven't been wage gains for the middle class in uh, over 20 years. If you, we, uh, the middle class has seen adjusted for inflation, hasn't seen wage gains. They're about exactly where they were in 1998. So 20 years ago, middle class hasn't seen wage gains, but yet they've seen price gains. Education's gone up. Healthcare's gone up. Lots of things have gone up. Some things have come down. Flat screen TVs have come down. Car prices are pretty affordable. But, you know, I worry for these, you know, it's, it's, it's the huge part of the population. We're not talking about that top 5 or 10%. These are the people who are going to bear the brunt of this. And we don't know how other countries are going to respond. We don't know how these other countries are going to step up and go, yeah, you're going to do that to steel. You're going to do that to aluminum. Let me tell you what we're going to do on America's exports. We're going to raise and put a tax on, and, and it just starts. Uh, I slap you, you slap me, and it goes back and forth. But, again, the generals at the back uh, and, and the back lines are not the guys at the front, and they're not going to take it on the on the chin. So, tell me about the political reaction. Uh, you've been on Capitol Hill. What are we hearing about these tariffs? Well, I think you know the most Republicans are furious about it. I mean, a lot of the even the like very conservative right leaning coke back, you know, coalitions are furious about it. I mean, this is the antithesis to free economics, which is a very, you know, a critical principle of the Republican Party. And, you know, personally, as you know, even though I'm, a, you know, more objective on the show, I mean, it was one of the reasons that attracted me personally to the party. I, this is a, uh, you know, tariffs are a tax on the American consumer. 
And I think if you're talking about the steel industry, I mean, we have to always remember that Bush imposed tariffs based on the campaign promise in 2000. His, his tariffs were not nearly as severe as these, but his, his tariffs resulted in a loss of 200,000 jobs. These tariffs are geared to protect uh, American steel mills, not the consumers of American steel products, which are your, right. your end right. users. So there right. are only a handful of them. And the reason, and we could go into a whole other discussion about why the steel mills are in the situation that they were in back in the early 2000s, but I don't think that's this is the time or the place. But bottom line is that this is all this is going to hurt. The U.S. economy, I mean, the latest figures, even though like the tariffs aren't as severe, are 174,000 jobs lost. If these tariffs are in, in, indeed introduced next week, which is the current timeline I've heard uh, today on them, uh, Paul Ryan's furious about it. I think uh, a number of other Republicans have weighed in with this White House. They're not, the, the, the Congress is not supportive, and they're looking at ways to thwart this. What, so tell me, tell, have you talked to anybody at the White House? What, what happened with Gary Cohn? I have not heard anything about Gary Cohn. This is one of these rare resignations that has not been a buzz in Washington. And basically part of my job is to gossip all day about politics. <laughs> and, and you haven't been gossiping nothing, about this? Because, nothing. you know, they had prepared remarks. They kept this pretty quiet then until after the close. They, they must have. I mean, then, which is, A, surprising for this White House to keep something so close to the vest. But I have not talked to anybody. I have not even heard a buzz about this. I mean, did you read those statements? I mean, they I were did. Just, they yeah, were, certainly. I mean, they had to be. I'm a love of you. Yeah. You a love of me. Sure. <laughs> uh, we all gonna get together I, and dance and drink Chianti later. I, and no problem. I, th- I, I mean, you know, God Almighty. I think most folks, uh, you know, really believe that uh, you know Steve Mnuchin would go before a Gary Cohn left, right? I mean, I, you know, Mnuchin has a much more high, well, but has a much higher profile. Uh, than you know, than Cohn does. Uh, just you know, in terms of being you know a, a cabinet secretary, but uh, but no, I mean, this is something I just did not even hear a peep about. Okay, so we've got a little more turmoil in the White House. I read through a list uh, of a lot of names. Let me see: six, seven, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen names of senior people who are. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I've heard the the administration say that that is kind of normal. Uh, it doesn't strike me as normal from my history as a Washingtonian, but maybe, I, don't, I don't know. It's it, not. It seems it, like a lot. No, I mean, yeah? you're, you're just after the one year, you know, we're really just after the one year mark of his inauguration. And already there are indictments. There are, you know, there are there are like mass resignations. I mean, somebody as senior as a Gary Cohn to resign and to lose cabinet secretaries like like, uh, you know, a Tom Price, HH, former HHS secretary, so early on in an administration is very, very unheard of. Very strange, right? Yep, that's right. Right. Okay. So uh, now, Matt, we, I've, we've promised people we're going to have a weekly Mueller update. Tell me what's going on with, uh, with the investigation. <laughs> well, we, we've had, uh, well, we've had, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we've had one gentleman uh, refuse to testify, he, ripping up his indictment on, uh, on national media and then, then reversing course. Who does course. that, by the way? I mean, I mean <laughs> does he not know who Martha Stewart is? <laughs> God, you can't. You don't cooperate with these people. You go to jail. I my mean, my my, that, that, my parents always told me to be polite to law enforcement. I have never been arrested, Michael. <laughs> you have not been arrested. Never, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first on the forecast. <laughs> Leffingwell has not. We have a denial. <laughs> it was a clear denial, and uh, we will have the forecast research team yes. looking <laughs> the into opposition. that. Don't worry, Mikhail. Mikhail, I'll get my sister <laughs> Svetlana to look into this. Could you would you call Svetlana now? He yes. says he's never been arrested in the United uh, States. No, in the United States. We'll come to some sort of uh, discovery here. 
the, yeah, okay. I, I, th- I think, Boris, we need to look and, at You this. know, look, I mean, I think, I think you know, it's it, this this investigation has gone, you know, a hundred different directions. I think a lot of people in Capitol Hill that I've talked to over the you know f- last few weeks are hoping that um, some focus comes back to uh, just, you know, just the, you know, the Russia piece of this all. Um, I think this is, again, like, you know, somebody from his campaign to the White House to, you know, Manafort, it's, you know, the... You know, to all the indictments at this point, I think, you know, we there is hope on Capitol Hill that, you know, this comes back to why this this whole special prosecutor uh, was designated, why Mueller was designated to investigate the you know, the Russian interference in elections. What's the big deal elections. with the Sam Nunberg guy? I, I, there's, I mean, uh, you know, there really isn't. I mean, I, I really don't want to overstate them. I mean, it just I think his irreverence is what made the front the headlines. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, it certainly wasn't his, you know, his his relevant, you know, his relevance in U.S. policymaking or the White House policymaking or anything having to, you know, that impacts, you know, Main Street USA. I mean, this guy was an insider and um, I had frankly never even heard his name until uh you know until he went all right you know, so we don't care about him Tell no, me I, about we really Wilbur shouldn't ross. wilbur ross came out in favor of these things that can, that, that caught me off guard yeah, it caught I mean, me wilbur really ross, off guard why is wilbur ross i mean is he that much of a bag man for the president no, or, but, or, or but, does he seem to really think this could possibly be a good idea which anybody i can't imagine i mean look i i promise you uh, you will not find anyone who loves the United States of America more than I, which is why I'm so upset that this just seems so stupid and it's going to hurt so many Americans and it's going to hurt U.S. GDP growth. I want to see the strongest American economy we can possibly see. And this hurts. I mean, it's, it's a scattershot approach to a rifle shot problem. If we have a China problem, let's deal with China. Right. Why are we beating up on Canada, for God's sakes? These people are so nice, they, 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 they apologize, you know, b- b- before they apologize. <laughs> and they're our largest trading partner. But, yeah, I mean, getting back to Ross, I mean, I think that's – if you're going to be a cabinet secretary, you, have, you're, you are a, on the front lines of selling this administration's policies to the American people and to the Congress. And you saw Secretary Mnuchin from uh, Treasury uh, today on Capitol Hill testifying to House, you know, House authorizers and House appropriators, uh, you know, about the, you know, about the administration's FY19 appropriations request. And it turned into largely a, def- a defense of this administration's, uh, you know, uh, you know, suggestion that we should have steel tariffs. So, so look, we're coming out of time yeah. here. Tell me what we should expect from the White House tomorrow. What are they going to say about Cohen? Are they going to announce a new economic advisor? What happens? I, I think I think out. they could use this as a red herring to you know delay or you know mo- you know uh, modify tariffs. I really do. Did I Trump think... did Trump push tariffs just to get rid of Cohen? No, I don't think that. I don't think that was the situation. I think he pushed tariffs to you know to uh, fulfill a campaign promise as well, like Bush did back. All in right, the... here we go. You heard it from Leffingwell. Fill the campaign promise, uh, and we're did you say fill the champagne? I can't. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> campaign is what I said. The campaign promise. President doesn't drink. You know that. Yeah, I do know that. Yes, sir. President doesn't drink. Uh, Drinks diet uh, coke though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he sure does. By the Lots gallon. Let me tell you something. You Damn. know, with days like this, I think the president ought to reconsider. All right, Matt Leffingwell, you're terrific. Thank Thanks you so much. Thanks for having me. We are coming back with Craig Bram from Sinaloy Corporation. This guy runs a company involved with steel. We're going to be right back. Stay with the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Far Miller and Washington, we believe... Money is hard to make. 
And we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Terrific music once again. Boris Boris, our producer, brings us great music every week. Welcome back to the Farcast. We're so glad you're with us again. We appreciate the time you spend with us. We've had a great Farcast here today. I've got a fabulous guest coming up. Hey, Boris, what was that music you were playing? Oh, this is a wonderful song from back in 1940. This song is called Trotsky Doesn't Live Here Anymore. It is the <laughs> title track from the soundtrack of the movie of the same name. Uh, Trotsky doesn't live here anymore. Yes. I, I like that. Was it, was it very popular, Boris? Oh, this very popular. In fact, it was required to go see this. <laughs> Big Uncle Joe You're said, really you must go see this movie or else Gulag. So we all went to see, and it was a wonderful movie. <laughs> Uncle Joe, well, uh, excellent. I'm so glad to learn more about Trotsky and your childhood. Uh, I, I think I am anyway. All right. <laughs> Look, this is a huge news night on the forecast. We had market volatility today, but it, actually we ended up on the day in markets. Uh, things seem to have calmed down. And then after the close, uh, White House Chief Economic Advisor Gary Cohn resigns with very flowery statements from the president and very flowery statements from uh, uh, Gary Cohn. So it looked all very preordained. All of this touched off. Last week, when I was in New York doing the hour-long halftime report for CNBC, uh, when the president announced very unexpectedly these trade tariffs on steel and aluminum. So when this happens, we do what we normally do. We talk to Kenny Polcari and figure out what's going on on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. We talk to Matt Leffingwell from Capitol Hill, our senior political analyst, to say, what are these people doing? And we just heard Matt tell us that uh, there is a lot of dissension on Capitol Hill, uh, and, and, and there's not a lot of support, and people are concerned. And now, for our third segment on the forecast, we're going to talk to Craig Brown. Craig Brown is the president and chief executive officer of Sinaloy uh, Corporation. He's, he's, uh, he's been that uh, CEO since 2011. He was a director of the company in 2004. He's been in the uh, steel industry chemical business for over 30 years, and Sinaloy actually does steam, stainless steel tube and pipe. And uh, so they, his, his predecessor, Jim Lane, used to talk to me all the time about how the Chinese had an unfair advantage in dumping even stainless steel and affected their markets. And while Sinaloy is kind of a specialty producer, uh, they're not entirely immune, I don't think, Craig. But, Craig, welcome to the forecast. Thank you, Michael. It's great being here. Well, it's, it's a great honor for us to have you. Craig, tell me uh, first a little bit about Sinaloy, and then tell us uh, what, uh, how Sinaloy is or isn't affected by these uh, tariffs or may be affected with these tariffs take place. Happy to. Uh, Michael, Sinaloy is a holding company for manufacturing businesses. And as you alluded to, we've got uh, focus on two segments, metals and chemicals. Our stock is traded on the NASDAQ under the symbol SYNL, and uh, we're, a, we're a micro cap. Our market cap is approximately $125 million. Uh, we're a very small player in the overall domestic steel industry, but a very large player in the domestic welded stainless steel pipe and tube market. Uh, one of our operating companies, Bristol Metals, 
is the largest domestic producer of welded stainless steel pipe and tube. And our revenue in 2018 for that unit is projected to be about $120 million. Wow. Wow. How many jobs there at Bristol Metals? Uh, over 300 folks employed at Bristol Metals. Uh, obviously, the largest portion of that are production folks, all belonging to the United uh, Steelworkers Union. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a company that is absolutely the heart and soul of America. I mean, this is this is this employs hundreds of people. It is a domestic company. It supports manufacturing stainless steel tube and pipe are used. It's a very special specialty kind of a product. Typically, you're going to have to help me here, Craig, but used to be used very broadly in the paper industry, paper manufacturing, in the brewing industry, also in pharmaceuticals, yes? That's right, Michael. Uh, we're primarily focused on infrastructure markets, both midstream and downstream uh, energy markets, mining, uh, pulp and paper that you mentioned, water and wastewater uh, as well. So we're uh, we're very much uh, focused on that infrastructure, and, and so we're pretty excited about uh, uh, tax reform and what that can mean for our end markets. So tell me now, how, how, does, how do these tariffs, will these tariffs affect Sinaloy? Uh, absolutely they will. Uh, just, just some general background for you. Uh, over the past uh, 10 years, Sinaloy and, and Bristol Metals have spent millions of dollars in legal fees battling the uh, dumping that's occurred of stainless steel pipe and tube in the U.S. over that time period. Tell me what you mean by dumping, Craig. Sure. Uh, you know, most, most definitions of dumping are going to focus on uh, predatory pricing where the product is sold below the cost of production or is sold in another market at a price that is lower than the price for which it's sold in the home market. Okay, so it's it basically there is stuff being sold in the U.S. that's 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 being sold for less than it costs to produce, uh, even in that even in that country. That's right. Okay, so and and China now you know uh, what I'd heard before from uh, your predecessor, Jim Lane, was that China was a pretty significant offender of uh, stainless steel dumping. That's right. Uh, China is, uh, going back 10 years, we've had three uh, primary dumping and countervailing duty cases. Uh, the first was against China, and that was followed uh, later by a, uh, a suit against Vietnam, Thailand, and Malaysia, and the most recent uh, dumping suit was against India. So how do you compete? Because you've got this, you've got this, these products that are being brought in cheaper than they can produce them. And how much cheaper is it than your cost of production? And if this is out there and available in the market, why would why would people buy stainless steel from Sinaloy? Uh, there are a number of reasons why they buy from Sinaloy. Uh, there are many many uses of the pipe that actually require domestic production. Uh, that's number one. Secondly, we have uh, Sinaloy and Bristol Metals in particular. We've spent a lot of money in the last uh, two to three years, upwards of $30 million of capital investment that's been focused on um, everything from laser technology to heavy wall presses to make sure that our facilities here in the U.S. 
are competitive uh, with uh, imports, assuming the the, the uh, playing field for those imports is is a level one. Okay, so it, does this help you? Will these tariffs help you at Sinaloy? Absolutely, they will. Um, right right now, Michael, we're we're operating. Uh, Bristol Metals is operating at about sixty seven percent capacity. Wow. And, uh, the Commerce Department report, uh, they're trying to get domestic steel production to about 80% of capacity. And okay. obviously, to happen at Bristol, uh, our profitability would improve, uh, our cash flow would improve, it would allow us to reinvest in both people and equipment and continue to maintain the competitiveness of, uh, of our business going forward. Do you think that this was done properly? I, th- this is really, I've got to tell you, it has scared me uh, significantly. I mean, a trade war really really strikes me as a very dangerous thing to start. You know, it's like saying, uh, well, let's go ahead with the controlled burn during the dry season and hope it doesn't get out of control. I, I, I don't, I, it worries me a lot. I, I, the, the retaliation into other products in other areas, not to mention higher prices, um, for, that are probably going to hit the uh, poor and middle class in America harder than they are most other people. I mean, these things concern me. Should, should I? Do you share any of my concerns, uh, Michael? I'd say we we were surprised at the uh, the option that the president has started with, and that being the broad uh, across the board tariff. Um, we had, we had anticipated a more targeted uh, set of tariffs or quotas that would focus on what we would call the bad actors, those countries and companies that have had a history in the past of dumping and and subsidies. Um, One of the alternatives presented by the Department of Commerce was a tariff on a subset of countries that included Brazil, South Korea, Russia, Turkey, China, India, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, all the all the countries that have a history of dumping. And the okay. proposed tariff on those specific countries was on the order of about 53%. So we had, we had anticipated a more targeted approach, and, and frankly, I'm, I, I would be surprised if we still didn't move in that direction. I think it's a more uh, palatable political uh, position to take. And it and it really targets those countries that that have been bad actors and exclusive. So maybe, maybe maybe that maybe we can back off from this and take a take another approach that might work a little bit better. Craig, we're right at the end of our time. I I, I can't thank you enough. I, but I want to ask you this: Can you sort of uh, you clearly are making profits in selling stainless steel? Can you think of a job for uh, without you know going into too many details that would be different? Under a and and what's your profit? What this would do to your profitability under uh, a, a more level playing field? And would you end up hiring more people if you had to increase your capacity? If you can do that really quickly for me. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. We uh, in 2016, Bristol Metals did not make money. In 2017, we were able to generate an operating profit of roughly four percent of our revenue. Wow. And uh, with these with these tariffs in place. There's no question that we'll be in a position to hire more folks. We're already uh, starting to do some of that now just in response to increased infrastructure spending. So 
uh, we're, we're very excited about the prospects of, of increasing uh, both, both personnel and our capital investment in this business going forward. It sounds like certain areas in America are going to grow in the economy, and that's what we want to find out about. We want to try and educate our listeners and educate ourselves at the same time. It's why we talk to the smartest of the smart folks we can find. Craig Bram, CEO, President at Sinaloy Corporation, thank you so much for joining us on the forecast. Thank you, Michael. And the ticker is S-Y-N-L, Sinaloy Corporation, Microcap, uh, but it's clearly going to have more jobs. They're going to have profitability, and that they will benefit. So uh, there, we knew there was some good coming. I, I do fear that there will be some negatives, but Craig Bram, that was a terrific segment. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to another uh, end of this another uh, forecast here. Our three great segments this week. Can't thank you all enough for joining us. Now, please remember, if you think you've heard us recommend a stock uh, to buy it or sell it, and that includes Sinaloy, we have not. We don't recommend any purchase or any sales or any transaction of any type of securities here on the forecast. If you think that you should make a change to your portfolio, to your asset allocation, uh, or with your investment advisor, please check with your investment professional or another investment professional. We would be delighted to help you uh, at Farr, Miller, and Washington. Our account minimum is $500,000, and we would love to talk to you if we can be helpful. Can't thank you enough for joining us again on another fabulous edition of the Farcast, made great by Kenny Polcari, Matt Leffingwell this week with Craig Brown, of course, our producer, Boris. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week. On the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr.